you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. The Around the NFL Podcast. Now that's a mojo moment. (laughs) From the Chris Wessling Podcast Studio, it's Around the NFL. I'm Dan Hansis. Got heroes, Greg Rosenthal, Mark Sessler. Whoa. Whoa. This was, we've been doing this now, this is our 10th season, boys. I think this was an all-time witching hour Sunday, both in the early and late games. A lockpocalypse for, in our locks competition. Lockpocalypse. Right? A lockpocalypse. And, oh, not for nothing, probably the most unlikely Jets win in the history of this show. Against the Browns, which, of course, does nothing for you, Mark, emotionally. I not know. Nothing. Well, no, I mean, I like <laughs> the experience of watching your emotions and the roller coaster during that early window uh, was fascinating. But then it, I completely forgot all about the early window by the time the later games came around. It was one of the more insane week twos of our lifetime. I would say this might be, Greggy, you, you're really taking on the mantle of the ATN historian lately, and we're all, we pinch ourselves. Um, <laughs> Uh, this has to be stacking up there as one of the craziest Sundays. In terms of improbable comebacks from positions that you just could not expect between the Cardinals uh, and the Jets, and what, what's the third one I'm thinking of that was absolutely insane? The Falcons Dolphins, making Ravens. it close, and then the Dolphins being the most crazy. In terms of most crazy comebacks in one week, how could we top this? I mean, Although we kind of saw last season, more than any season, and we're seeing this now in this NFL, like three-score leads are not what they used to be. I'm just mm. expecting at this point, and today I fell into the trap where you know we talk about the lineup of what order we're going to talk about these games, and we were deep into the second window and saying, eh, these games aren't very good. I'm not going to look at any game that way ever again, because every one of these things are ever. going down to the last 90 <laughs> seconds, if not into overtime. Yes, the witching hour was strong uh, in both windows, so let's get to it. We're going to start today's show by hammering you with five straight epic bangers <laughs> with unbelievable endings before we get to, by the way, some killer quarterback injury news a little later in the show. Uh, Nick Shook coming up. So much fun to get to. Let's get going, starting with what went down the horror in the desert, at least for the Raiders. Carr waiting for the shotgun snap. He's got the ball. Quick throw left side. Renfro with a catch. And he breaks one tackle. Then the ball comes out. It's loose. And it's picked up by the Cardinals in midfield. It's picked up by Byron Murphy at the 40, at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Ball game! Byron Murphy picks up the ball at midfield, returns it for a touchdown, and the Cardinals win. No flags. What an unbelievable finish here in Vegas. Oh, I was hoping to hear Ron Wolfley. <laughs> but he's probably passed out. I think at that point. In the press box. Yes. After unbelievable Byron Murphy Jr. That was KMVP, by the way. Byron Murphy Jr. recovers the Hunter Renfro fumble. Takes it to the house as the Cardinals score the game's final 22 points and a stunning 29-23 win over the shell-shocked Raiders and their fans at the new black hole. That's NU with an umlaut. Um... Mark, Greg, 
could start with either of you here because this was your guys' this was your lock of the week, and it came down to Kyler Murray and his magic act, uh, getting the touchdown and two point conversion with triple zeros in regulation, and then the defense took it home. This game to me, well, we, well, that's no surprise. Greg and I are taking the L, and I mean this is a, a rough day for all lockers involved, except for one. I. If you go back in time an hour before the final result, the Byron Murphy touchdown, I was sitting there covering this, um, shouting insults at the Cardinals. I think you heard some of them because it was six plus quarters in a row where the Cardinals to me looked like they had no plan on defense and that Kyler Murray, I was starting to question, I don't question his incredible gifts, but could he alone save an offense that seemed like it was ready to sink into the sand? And then you fast forward an hour, you get Isaiah Simmons, who really had disappeared into the into the ether on this defense, making the huge hit that helped cause that fumble. Former you first get, round pick. Right, you get the Byron Murphy touchdown at the end. But for me, it is what Kyler Murray did over the last half of this game. Completely took it over and really rescued the team. I mean, first of all, like the two two two-point conversions, his first to run in to scamper was one of the better plays we've seen um, in many seasons. He ran 84 yards on that two-point conversion. That's not an exaggeration. That that is the next-gen stat. It is the longest, obviously, anyone's ever run on a two-point conversion, 84 yards. That's amazing. It it looked like it. I mean, it looked video game-esque, but then also to take the game into overtime, the, you know AJ Green had some issues in this game, but the throw in connection with AJ Green on that two point conversion to pull it into the fifth frame was one of the best throws of the entire season mm. too. So Kyler Murray comes out of this. Cliff Kingsbury is not perfect, but he comes out of this. The Cardinals' lost defense comes out of this with new life, and the Raiders. That's a whole different topic. But I think for Arizona, it changes their season, which was sinking quick. Right. I think they were staring at the darkest zero and two start of any team if this game kept up as it was going because the first half total domination uh, by the Raiders but they turned it around working hard like an 11 play 94 yard it still wasn't coming easy they actually turned it over on downs before that uh, two touchdowns that they had and they had so many plays at the goal line that that game tying drive to go to overtime was 18 plays 65 yards green Dropped the ball uh, where it looked like he was tackled at the one that could have been intercepted. Uh, Kyler Murray threw another pass where the Raiders dropped an interception. He threw another pass right off of uh, a Raiders receiver's hip that popped up in the air and could have been intercepted. And there were just so many different plays like that. Marquise Brown had a ball jostled out uh, during overtime. It's like so much of like this sport and what the Cardinal season could look like comes down to like Marco Wilson jumps on the fumble in overtime, but it squirts out and Murphy goes and gets it. But they deserved it by the end. Like they were the team that dominated really from the second half on their pass rush, got after Derek Carr, and then Renfro ends up fumbling it twice in overtime. I thought, wow, that must be crazy. He must never fumble. He actually fumbled last week, and he fumbled five times last season, so it is a little hmm. bit of an issue for Hunter Renfro. Yeah, I think this was a, an also an all-time Sunday for cold takes on Twitter, and I'll raise my hand with this game. I'm kind of keeping an eye on it because, you know, 
And uh, that's what we do on Sundays. <laughs> right. And I had, quote, we retweeted the March news that Steve Kime, the GM, and Cliff Kingsbury had received contract extensions and wrote, <laughs> reminder that this was odd at the time. Now it feels like a developing boondoggle. And, and maybe it still is. I'm not saying like everything is wiped away, but winning cures a lot of things. And it completely changes the vibes in Arizona now. And on the other side of it, for the Raiders, this is the Josh McDaniels um, era. This is this is supposed to be the start of something special for the Raiders, who obviously, in addition um, to um, having this better roster, you have Devontae Adams there. He goes two for 12 on seven targets in this game, Mark. And their offense, when, when they needed to stop the bleeding down the stretch, it just was nowhere to be found. Absolutely lost. And, I mean, again, if you go back in time earlier into the game, I was thinking – This was a very clean performance by Derek Carr after last week's three-interception meltdown. He had spread the ball all over the place. They're not like a downfield striking offense under Josh McDaniels. They... Their passing game looks different, but it looked really productive. They were in total control, and I thought Patrick Graham has this Raiders defense playing at a different place than they were a season ago before that. They were getting to Derek Carr. Matt Crosby, Max Crosby was all over the place. I think they got totally worn out in this game. They looked so gassed down the stretch, and they just did not show up and make a play at all. I mean, Partly because the, the offense didn't do anything in the second half. Look, if they have no, the one, one decent drive, then, then they get it going. Like that Crosby – brings up an, another play in all of this that made it happen. I mean, Max Crosby, and this is why it's like, let's not give Cliff Kingsbury too much credit here. This okay. is Kyler Murray being one, back, of, Greggy. one of the most sensational athletes I've ever seen and doing things that only he can do. The game was over if Max Crosby, one of the great pass rushers, who's forced Kyler Murray to about the 25 or the 30-yard line on a play on the goal line and has him in his hands. Has, has you know, little Kyler Murray. I say that as a, a truly diminutive as man. A little I man, mean, in yes. real life, Kyler Murray's, you know, well-built He's man. a thick individual. You're a small stature, but that's right. weird, Greg. Yeah. Crosby has his arms around Kyler Murray. The game is over at that point. It's over, it is, Johnny. It is fourth down. He gets out of it. And you know what? They don't win the game on that point, but he gets out of it, and there's a, a pass uh, or a holding call yes. on the Raiders' defense that keeps the game going because Murray can escape, and that's what it was all about. That was Murray killer. was the best player. I think, yes, and Byron Murphy Jr., you're the hero, but I think what Greg is saying, what Mark's saying, I'll echo it. You could – when the Kyler Murray extension happens, you go, who? Oh, okay. It makes sense uh, because he's he's put a lot of great things on tape. But let's see how this contract works out. And then you see a game like this, and you realize that he really is one of one. And uh, the Cardinals are very lucky to have him. Mm. They were today. We're just getting started. You know, it's going to be a good show when there's spittle on my uh, computer. Oh, you're screen. excited. You know, watch you're back on YouTube. You're rabid. We're the winners. Let's head to Baltimore, where another road dog. Blew up. <laughs> to a shotgun. Back to throw. Looking, looking, looking. Steps up. Fires. Touchdown again. It's Waddle. Touchdown. Oh, my gosh. Tua looked around. It came back to Waddle. What a throw and catch. With 14 seconds left. Oh, the lockable. The, the lockalypse? Lockpocalypse? What did we do? Where did we settle on this? You said lockpocalypse. I just kind of like lockalypse. Lock-a-lips. But that doesn't really work. Mm. Lockpocalypse. It rolls on. Lockpocalypse. Yeah. Zeus are locked up the Ravens. He's feeling good. But then Tua. Tua. Jimmy Cephalo with the call WQAM. Tua non. Step out of the dark web and rejoice. Tunga Bailoa threw for 469 yards and six touchdowns. 
six, four of which came in the final quarter. The Dolphins rally back from 21 down in Baltimore to beat Lamar Jackson, who was out of his mind himself in this game. Uh, 42-38 win over the Ravens. And you heard it there, too, a seven-yard touchdown pass to Jalen Waddle with 14 seconds left. Completed what was just an amazing comeback by Miami, an eye-opening comeback to people like me, people in there, I'm not alone, that doubt Tua, that doubt this offense's ability to kind of live up to the hype. And then you see a game like this, and you say, okay, okay, now I see it. Now I can see how it works. They were down 35-14 with less than 13 minutes to play. And they just never got stopped. And they made some big plays along the way uh, in other phases of the game. But when you look back at this game, and we'll see if Tua can now build on this uh, mark and become uh, a star, which is what the Dolphins thought he would be. But this was a potential star-making performance from a quarterback that's been very hot and cold in his career to this point. Yeah, I, mean, I think with, with Tua, he's at the place in his career where you're on your, you know, a second coach at this point, and you didn't draft Justin Herbert, which we know the owner was peeved about. And with Tua, you can look Tom at him. Tom Brady was on a yacht. Right, you can look at Tua <laughs> through certain metrics and say he's incredibly accurate. Uh, he does X, Y, and Z really well, but you don't see it on the field. And I, I've always been like, I just want to see that to a moment, that game that alters the way that he's looked at by the general public. It. To some, it happened today because it wasn't just the, it was the way they did it. He made a couple massive key throws in this, and I would say flip More side, than a couple. No, I mean, but that, it, it but, was a clinic in the, the point, second half, right? Because it's not unlike the Kyler game where you and I are sitting next to each other, right. we're kind of grumbling about the fact that like hands. this to a thing is probably not working to some degree. I mean, we're jumping to conclusions. To, I, I get that, but it's at halftime, right? He looked like the two of the meh to a yeah. that you've kind of got a couple used to. picks in the Threw game two picks in the first half uh, made some throws as well and kept them in the game but at the same time it was kind of like okay this is what we're expecting and instead of it instead of it getting away when it looked like it was a blowout it doesn't and Lamar Jackson Greg was incredible in this game mm. and that was to me going to be the story that was how I was going to lead it on the show that this guy is flying on his way to another MVP potentially because his passing has never been better. He has a 75-yard touchdown game that uh, run that you think salts this game away uh, late in the third quarter, and yet the Ravens can't find a way to close it out, and that's concerning as well, Greg. The defense really did. Maybe it's one of those days, Greg. Every team can have it, even a good defense where just the walls fall in, but still not a great look. Well, they're a little thin at certain positions. I think their edge rusher, uh, I think – Parts of their secondary. I, I know Marcus Peters and Humphrey played in this game, uh, but, th- but they were hurt coming into it. But this is also just unprecedented. I mean, I think conditioning, you don't play in the preseason. Some crazy stuff happened at the end of these games. But I w- that doesn't take any credit away. I mean, this game was so epic. This comeback was so epic. The only games you can compare it to are games like I remember where I was when I saw them. Here are the only 21-point comebacks since, since, since 2000. There's only been five. The, your Jets... Uh, against the Dolphins. Miracle of the Meadowlands. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Another miracle Monday of the Meadowlands, rather, uh, in 2010. That the Sean Jackson-led yep. uh, comeback. Uh, I remember the Vince Young comeback from 21 nothing down against the Giants in the fourth quarter of that game. That was one of my all-time favorites in 06. There was the Peyton Manning game on Monday Night Football. Like, those are it. Like, like against the Bucks, where where he did it. The games that people talk about for the rest of Peyton Manning's career, like this is that game for sure. Was it more special that you were sitting next to Dan and Mark this time around for this version of this? That's true. I wasn't there for any of those. Like You weren't there. Um, This game was a fog. In in fact, I was kind of annoyed because I wanted to draft this game first overall, and then I just thought value-wise, take Buck Saints, and I made a mistake. Just take, go with your heart. By the way, they're waving the five-year waiting 
period and putting me right into the draft hall of fame for the games that I took <laughs> this Sunday. Everyone was gonna, it's going to be on the list of the top 10 games. Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill combined for 22 catches for 200 and now you're making me do math on the fly 61 yards. They were targeted to combine 32 times and had 22 catches. I mean, I'm not saying this is how it's going to be every week and it won't. Uh, but this is the proof of concept game for Mike McDaniel. And uh, it was pretty amazing to watch. So, Dolphins fans, yes, I saw you in my mentions. Oh yeah, you said you were going to eat humble pie if they I'm, if they I'm lost. I'm gobbling it up. Uh, it is a concerning level level of calorie intake. Uh, I must because the Dolphins showed out in a huge spot here, and they're two and zero. How about that? Oh, I'll eat it too because I was I was strongly considering the Ravens as my lock, and I, and I said as much. Let's give McDaniel the last word on Tua. I think it was a moment that he'll never forget. That hopefully he can use moving forward because um, we, we didn't have the the strongest. We basically had to play perfect complementary football to come back from a deficit like that against a really good team. Um, so I uh, couldn't be happier for him and, and his teammates know. Uh, they, his teammates learned a lot about him, and I think he learned uh, – uh, his teammates learned a lot about him, and I think he learned something about himself. Uh, don't we all have, like, a friend in our past that is exactly like Mike McDaniel? I can't – after Rachel Benetta did her latest uh, genius impersonation <laughs> on, uh, on Twitter, I can only see Napoleon Dynamite now. I can't unsee it. <laughs> But I mean, anyway, no, he adds to the argument with the cadence is. of how he speaks. But I mean, look at you've beaten Bill Belichick and you just did what you did today. So. He seemed like happy, exhausted, where he just couldn't even think straight anymore. Congratulations uh, to Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. Let's move on. A fun Dolphins team. It's been a while. This is, guys, as we move along here, a historic Sunday. Just wild things going on. I have yet more history. Mm. For the first time in I don't know how long since I became a father. I will make a point this week to sit my children down to watch a Jet game together. Mm. Third down and 10. 25 seconds to go. The Jets down by six. Flacco takes the shotgun snap and drops. Puts up the seam. Fires. Caught. Touchdown. Garrett Wilson scores. The Jets are a point after away from taking the lead with 22 seconds to go. Oh, bongos, baby. More history. Bongos for the Jets. Bob was choosing for the, with the call. We never hear Bob on the show, WEPN. Joe Flacco fired a 15-yard touchdown pass to rookie Garrett Wilson, who's a player, by the way, with 22 seconds left. The Jets almost impossibly rally down from 13 down in the final two minutes for a 31-30 win over the Browns, and that place was a mausoleum in Cleveland. Uh, just stunning what happened here on third and 10. Flacco, who had th- four touchdown passes in this game, found Wilson over the middle. Earlier in the fourth quarter, Wilson had dropped a crucial third down pass that led to a Jets punt that seemed to put the game away uh, for the Browns, who got another big time game from Nick Chubb. And yet, after Chubb goes into the end zone to put the Browns up 13, when he could have went down on one knee, it's that thing. That happens sometimes where it's like, oh, don't let him go in the end zone. You're going to win anyway. No, go down, kill the clock and end the game. He goes in the end zone. Cade York, who went from the nursery to the kicker club, then misses an extra point. Flacco and the Jets come on the field and right away, 
Corey Davis gets hit wide open down the right sideline for a 70-plus yard touchdown after the extra point. Okay, one minute left and a little bit of change. Jets don't really have any way to stop the clock. Browns just got to recover an onside kick. They can't do that. And now, you know, it's getting tight. Things are puckering in Cleveland in the crowd because now the Jets have the ball down six because of the missed miss PAT. And then uh, Flacco takes them right down the field. They get an interception to close it by Ashton Davis. And uh, it is one of the more unlikely Jets wins in a very long time. And for the Browns, who were set up for a 2-0 start, just a crushing loss. But the Jets, Greg, I know you picked them. I think to win by one point. They won by one point, but I don't think it's how you predicted it. <laughs> no. Uh, I thought it'd be like 13-12. It'd be ugly. You're telling me how Jacoby Brissett actually played pretty well in this game. He played game. great in this game. Like, you know, your old thing, oh, Joe, Joe Flacco's a fluco. Fluco no more. <laughs> you know, as as great a position that the Raiders were in, yeah, up up 16 points with the ball 12 minutes ago. As great you want the win probability percentage right. with as great, right. I was going to say, as great a position yeah. that the Ravens were in up 21 fourth quarter, nothing like this situation where the Browns have a first down before that Nick Chubb touchdown. I mean, nothing do close. You want, do you want the number? Please, give it to me. With 155 to play, and you know, listeners know I do not like win probability. 99.8% chance <laughs> that the Browns win at that moment, and yet they found a way to lose, and usually... The Jets don't find a way to go into that window that gets open, Mark. But in this case, in this weird Sunday, the Jets even found a way to be magical. And I'm still processing it, as are all the Jets fans I know back home. Right. And I think it it started much earlier in the game for me because it could have been nail in the coffin uh, had the Jets not gone with a really gutsy fake punt as well that led to a scoring drive. So I think you get that. You combine the Cade York mixed point and you get and you do the onside kick. It was a special team, a glorious special teams day for the Jets that really, to me, their, their defense has issues. They got run over by the Browns, but Garrett Wilson is this, one of the big discoveries on this day. And I mean, if you can get Eight this from for Joe, 102 and two. I mean, I think like we Already. knew he could play, but I mean, it, there's been, it's been so hard for the Jets despite their pieces that seem to look better and better every season, for any of them to show up in these games. And this was the day that kind of finally that happened. And if you're Cleveland, uh, it is a total team collapse because you can't... I, I typically thought when Cleveland loses these games, you're going to first look at Jacoby Brissett and say, well, that's the liability. That just was not the case today. He is one. He is a tough individual, first of all. He's not perfect, but he did all he could. They ran the ball the way that you would want to formula-wise to say you're going to win some games before... Deshaun Watson comes back. All of that happened, except the Jets pulled so many tricks and so many maneuvers out of their butt that things went differently. (laughs) Listen, this is a game that ended up with 800 total yards uh, between the two teams. The Browns did anything they wanted, basically, on offense in this game. Nick Chubb ran the Jets over, especially in the second half. Brissett really played well. Now, the interception that ended the game uh, came with less than 10 seconds to go, but they had a shot to get into field goal range, and that was a a legitimately bad throw. But the thing that, that jumps out, yes, the Jets had that early fake punt to set up their first score but the rest of the game went exactly kind of how you thought it would go to where what we've seen from the Jets in recent years to where the Browns felt like they were until there was 155 to play and then something just happened and it's one of those games that you'll remember on both sides Jets fans will remember it 
and for like the unlikely nature of it for a franchise that's been down forever, Browns fans will not forget this well, one. That, I, that will stick to the ribs. And just a loss just like so, that. like I know we've the Browns are a complex subject on this show and in general, but it's not just the Jets that have had tough times. The Browns have not been two and zero since 1993 when Vinny Testaverde and Bernie Kosar were dueling banjos at quarterback. So this is a crushing loss. That I one thing is the Browns know how to author those. I, I got to say, the, the newsroom it, in our little area did not feel any different than previous Browns years. When the Browns had this game ripped away from them, I felt for you, Mark, and I felt I know, like actually, it had been I, ripped I, out I, of Greg, you. Greg, I think you're, you're – did. I'm sitting next to Dan. I hadn't. I wasn't really even. I was doing other stuff during it. I, it's. It's. I, I know that you want no, this I to don't. be the way I it don't. is. But I don't. I. I, I, do I was feel honestly for you. kind of happy for Dan because it's like I'm not emotionally Thank tied you, to the result. The Jets snapped their. You want to talk about bad stats? The Jets. Jets snapped their 13 game losing streak in September. And if you don't think that this calls for the return of Keith Hansis on the show, oh, it does. You do not pay attention <laughs> to this podcast. Let's hear from my dad who, like the rest of us in Gangrene Nation, were feeling no pain. His name is Keith. He's Dan's dad. No doubt about it, he's a big Jets fan. What is he gonna say about the game today? What is he gonna say about the game today? I've watched the Jets for over 50 years, and I have never seen them win a game like they did today. I've seen many losses, many wins in close games, but nothing that was this close. When I saw that field goal kicker miss that, the, miss the extra point for Cleveland and saw the look on his face, I got an, uh, some excitement in my, that this might be something special. I could not believe Flacco throwing the long <laughs> touchdown and then getting the onside kick and then driving down the field. It was amazing. Jets. J-E-T-S. Jets, Jets, Jets. Do you hear, Dad? <laughs> oh. Do you hear, Keith, how happy he, he is? He saw the look in the eyes down 13 with no timeouts. It was over, and he, uh, again, I said it last week, and I said I want results, not receipts, and Dad and 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 some other family members went to Giant Stadium or MetLife Stadium and got rained on in, in a blowout. And that's all we're asking for. Just give us – we don't need to win a Super Bowl. We don't even need to make the playoffs. But throw pepper in some of these games so it feels like you're a part of a, a real – you're following a real team. That was a really, really uh, much-needed win for not just the fan base but for Robert Sala mm. uh, with the criticism that had been building up around him, uh, for Joe Flacco, and really everybody connected with the Jets. So big win for the Jets. Big win for the Love it. All it's, right. It's beautiful to hear, Keith. He was happy. A smile in his eyes. When's we've, the last time my dad was happy on no, this show? No, we've known him for a, over a decade at this point, and, like, the, the Jets' pain is well chronicled. He's passed it on to you. You've, in theory, passed it on to your children, maybe. And uh, I am very happy for your dad. He's a true fan. Thank you, Mark. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, let's move on to the next game as we continue. Great win for the Jets. Let's continue on with another crazy ending. 
Maher is set. He has two 50-yard field goals this year. Here comes his kick. It has the distance. It is good. The Cowboys win on a 50-yard field goal at the gun. Cooper Rush beats the Bengals. Cooper Rush beats the Bengals. What is going on in Cincinnati? The Dallas Cowboys get a desperately needed win in week two. But it did feel that way. 2017 win uh, for the Cowboys over the Bengals who go from AFC champions, the doorstep of the Super Bowl, to an 0-2 start here. So, Mark, what was your vibe on this team, this game? Because it seemed like Cincinnati was taking control and was going to get a much-needed win, and they just couldn't close it. Came too late. I, it was a, a real mess for Cincinnati out of the gate. I don't. I think I'm not saying the Bengals did this, but it would have been easy to look at a Cooper Rush-led Cowboys offense and overlook what you saw. And two takeaways for me, and I mean we can all discuss this one, but the offensive line that was much ballyhooed, and we basically assumed would just be so much better. It was this Bengals front office has fixed their final issue to protect their prize asset in Joe Burrow. Six sacks today. He has taken 26 of them over the last five games, stretching into last playoff run. 13 this year, right? 13 this year, and (laughs) it looks no different to me. He is on the run. I think it creates a few of them himself, but that's because he's just trying to make a play. But they, to me, it affects the run game. It certainly affects what's happening with their pass game. They still dial up some big plays, but the Dallas front, Micah Parsons especially, was so dominant in this game that it took a long time for Cincinnati, like last week in Pittsburgh, to get untracked and climb back in. Flip side, Cooper Rush, who looked like a mess against the Bucks, but had, you know, in his past has had a couple moments for the Cowboys. I thought he played great for how little he's seen, what little practice time he's been with with starters. Because they're so sh- shallow at wide receiver... He's actually had better chemistry than Dak Prescott with guys like Noah Brown and others. I mean, there are just a lot of big plays, and he dialed up that game-winning drive at the end. So I don't know what Dallas, I don't know where they'll be a month from now. Who knows? But you've just beaten the defending AFC title team. And if you're the Bengals, you never would have imagined well, we, you'd be here at 0-2 with the same issues you had a year ago. I was going to say, we talked about, I know you said it a lot, Mark, on this podcast, like, why does it feel like entering the season Cincinnati wasn't getting a lot of respect? And then they've gone out the first two weeks and been like, yeah, you don't need to respect this because it was a magical January into February. And then we show up and we positively gag away the Pittsburgh game in week one. And then you let a Dallas team playing without Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott beat you in week two. And it's just like, that is one of the worst... Uh, two-week starts of any team in the league right now. You can make the argument it's the worst. Well, also because it could, could so easily be 2-0. That, like, they, they think they're a player two away. Uh, the offensive line struggled, and yet that wasn't the issue on the final drive. When the, the Bengals' defense forced another punt by the Cowboys, it felt like this was going to be another great comeback. It was 17-3 in this game in the first half. It was 17-9 at, at one point in the fourth quarter. And then they get the two-point conversion, they get the touchdown, they get the ball back, and then they don't do anything. Trayvon Diggs made a great tackle in space on Tyler Boyd that was like a game-winning football play by Trayvon Diggs, who takes a lot of uh, grief by kind of being a gambler. But he's, he's played things a little safer. I think defenses are playing way back on the Bengals the last two weeks, definitely trying to take away the big play. And you look at the box score, they did not have a play over 20 yards. So not only are they 
taking all those sacks. And Micah Parsons right now is like on some Lawrence Taylor stuff. It, it, five quarterback hits in this game. The, the first two games of this season, he's built on the best rookie season we've seen in I don't know how long. Uh, but so the Bengals aren't getting big plays. And and they're getting sacks. I mean, that's a that's a but tough you, combination. And you can make the case if a defense is playing back or making sure you're not getting beat over the top, that there should be more underneath, which would then lead to be able to get the ball out quick to guys that are, you know, closer to the line of scrimmage, and and it should still work for Cincinnati. So I'm just I'm curious why they struggled so much they, today. They made they did he did make plays. I think it's two weeks in a row where you get you get into a a deep hole and you have to try to climb out and the run and, game stunk both right weeks. like last year when they went and hammered the rest of the AFC North a lot of it had to do with the with Joe Mixon with the ground game that you'd build a lead and then the big plays would come more easily that the best coach in this game was Dan Quinn I, I think honestly Dallas can win games against anyone with the way that Micah Parsons in the defense is playing that's such a uh, around the NFL trope what when in doubt don't credit Mike McCarthy under any circumstances well, or I mean, credit Dan Quinn. Or, you remember, know remember that Super Bowl Mike, you fell Mike in love with? Mike McCarthy and, and Kellen Moore do deserve credit for how they prepared Cooper Rush in this game. I, I see I your overall point. I see your But if you point. look at what yeah. Dan – if you go watch what Dan Quinn's defense – and to your point, how they went against Cincinnati, the scheme they came up with, and their stars played like stars. It's like their, their problem three seasons ago or two seasons ago was the defense was a huge mess. Now it's their biggest strength under Dan Quinn. Every, every win it feels like a two wins with, with Rush. If they can just survive till absolutely back, right, back, and you huge. get the Giants next week, and we'll get to that as the week rolls on. But to peel yourself off the turf after a brutal week one and get the W, the Cowboys have to be feeling good. You want another banger, another great ending? Sure. I mean, yeah, there, not, there's no end to that. Hey, best reality show on television. Oh, That's the yeah. NFL. Let's head a, top it. Let's head across the sidewalk to SoFi Stadium. Mariota has a knee-high snap. Rams send five. They hit Mariota. Throw goes up. It is intercepted at the goal line. Jalen Ramsey out to the 20 and out of bounds to the Rams bench. Paul's game in week two for the Rams. Deep exhale for the Rams. The great J.B. Long with the call. Jalen Ramsey picked up Marcus Mariota in the final minute of regulation to stop the possibility of an epic collapse of the Rams, who hold on for a 31-27 win in their building, their first win of the year after their week one loss on Thursday night against the Bills. And this was a game, gentlemen, where the Rams were beating the Falcons 28-3. Look at that. And then a series of big plays, a major rally, uh, by the Falcons, got this thing tight, got it down, got it down from 28-3, 28-10. The Rams kick a field goal, get it up to 31-10. And then you just got to give Mariota and the offense and Arthur Smith credit um, for staying in the game. Then they get a huge block punt um, for a touchdown, and that's when it got really interesting. But in the end, um, the Rams got the stop from their big guy, Jalen Ramsey, which was especially nice because Ramsey – uh, Greg did not have the best week one against Stefan Diggs and the Bills. No, and I know he wasn't on pits this whole game, but when you look at the targets and the yards that 
Ramsey gave up. I think it was like seven targets. He only gave up about 13 yards. It matches up pretty well with Kyle Pitts, who basically got shut down in this game. Two weeks in a row. If you can turn the Falcons into a one-dimensional passing game where it's just Drake London, you're going to have a better chance. And I just think of like, I'd have to go through it, but how many times does it feel like Ramsey ended games? Like, it feels like last last year for the Rams and, and since he's been on this team that he is the guy very often. It's not the offense that makes the game-winning pass breakup or interception to do it. I mean, I don't know. This is this is The Rams come out of here with a win, but I leave concerned in general because they basically no-showed against the Bills in a very concerning manner. And on our preview show, I think there was debate over, over whether the Falcons were a real entity or not. And, and so if they aren't, if they are, they are. But if they aren't, the Rams completely, in their streaky nature, look at their first five drives. Touchdown, touchdown, interception, Matthew Stafford. Touchdown, touchdown. It, they were answering every question about their opener. It was like, oh, these are, this is the, the Rams are back, and we're going to forgive them week one. Here's how they end it. Interception, field goal, blocked punt, fumble, and safety. I mean, they really melted. They in ran so, out of gas. The, well, the safety is they purposely that, that, ran the ball out to run out the it clock. It was an epic meltdown. I don't I, care about the safety, but I, it's. I just would say, you know, I watch this game close, and yes, it was not great. It was not great the way the game closed out. But I think there were maybe they got a little lethargic after building that huge lead and thought they thought they could coast home. But that's an ill quality. Sure, but you know what? I'm just not going to go crazy and feel like I'm worried about the Rams because the Falcons made this game close. I think more they were up 28-3, like I said, in this game midway through the third quarter. The the Falcons, to their credit, and this is and I they're an entity, but I, I don't think they're a very good team. They I think they're frisky. They fought hard. I, I think they're well coached. Okay, you but... guys keep saying that. That's fine, but that, I'm just saying this was a game that was a blowout that the Falcons deserve credit for making interesting. But I'm not coming out of this like the Falcons are actually sneaky good or the Rams are sneaky bad. I think the Rams took care of business, but it could have it could have been easier than it was. So that's that's more things for Sean. I don't think the Rams are bad or sneaky bad. I think they're streaky. Well, and it wouldn't surprise sure. me that they're coming out of the gates a little slow. They have a game against the Cardinals last week, and rewatching that last play, they, they they blitz, which is a little different for them. They they bring Bobby Wagner on a looping stunt, and it ends up being. Aaron Donald, who really pushed his offensive lineman into Mariota's lap. And I was wondering, oh, that wasn't a bad decision by Mariota to go for that jump ball to Brian Edwards, who's a big guy. He just threw it a little high. And the reason he threw it a little high is because Aaron Donald pushed an, pushed an offensive lineman right into him as he's throwing it. Big time players. Are you concerned at all about the fact that the Rams are imbalanced? It's it's weeks in a row these this season, but dating back to last year, where their run game is not a difference-making unit. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know what to say. I don't. I'm not. Well, you seem hands off on any concern about the. Rams. I'm really I'm not, not concerned also, not about it after to, watching this no, game. I, I, I think I, Sean McVay has has not doubts, but he wants to run the ball well. That needs to be the foundation of a, a good Rams offense. They're not a great Rams offense yet, and he that's something they're gonna want to. They work ran it on. 26 times, so that tells you there's an intention to do it for 2.5 yards per carry. And I, like, I'm not trying to come out of this segment. There was also a Brandon Powell carry for negative 26 on right, a well busted that, play, so that, that's going to that mess with That factors in, but I'm not trying to come out as some sort of alarmist compared to you being completely calm about it. I, I, don't, I don't care. If they're, if, I'll, I'll see what happens to the Rams. But I, you it, seem pretty invested in this. You know what, this. though? Because it's just like I, I – Just I check out the game. That's I, all I'm going to say. Will, and I let think, me know how you feel about it. I think Rams it. fans like cannot be loving what the first two weeks of the season have Survive been. in advance. This whole September, I still am kind of in the 
vibe that it's kind of the preseason. I mean, you, there's a lot of entertainment. There's excitement. You got to stack some wins, but it's like these teams are going to be so different in November, um, December. Here's the the good takeaways, Mark, real quick. Matt Stafford was way better in this game, had two interceptions, was way better. Cooper Cup still uncoverable. Allen Robinson, after a terrible week one, got open, made some plays, had a touchdown, had another touchdown that got waved off because of some Fugazi official whistle blow that uh, blew the play dead. This is a win they got. You know what else we got? Hmm. Got a nice little performance by uh, the Fox color man, a young, uh, one once upon a time, young upstart uh, quarterback named Mark Sanchez now doing what a day for the Jets. Uh, yeah, the big a big Jets Sunday. Here's Mark Sanchez. I got two clips of Sanchez who just brought a lot of material into the booth with Kevin Kugler. Let's listen into the first one. Matthew Stafford off the play fake and the there roll of the Skoranek. You t- called it, Mark Sanchez. Expect to see Skoranek. What do we say about his last name? Like Zyrtec, like Prilosec. <laughs> Ask your doctor about Skoranek. Side effects may include catches in the flat, gains of eight yards. How about that? <laughs> No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And then uh, then Sanchez reaches deeper into the bag, and he says, now I'm going to bring in some little risque comedy into your living room on a Sunday. Blowing open this hole, getting the start at center. I mean, Shelton's he's clearing out defenders faster than a teenager clears his search history on his web browser. Holy smokes. <laughs> Shelton's all over the place. Holy smokes. Why is the teenager clearing his search history? I didn't really get it. I just thought it was funny. Okay. I what think we it? could figure out why. What does that mean, by the way? What? I didn't really get it. I just thought, was, is somebody writing him this material? That that Whoa, means, What if someone's writing him material? No, I don't think so. I think he's writing this himself. Right. And why does it need to be a teenager? teenager? Why does it, you know, what, I think adults, I think searching, uh, clearing your search history, that, that, that goes the across teenager, age lines. Yeah, yeah, the teenager was a uh, unfair victim there. But uh, right. so, Sanchez general, is that like, corny friend of that. yours who's like corny and makes bad jokes, but you kind of love him for it. I feel like that's who Mark Sanchez is. I'm, I'm kind of into the, the Sanchez broadcasting experience. I, like I, I didn't think it was going to go well, to be perfectly honest, but... Anyway, fun. When is the last time, you. Greg, yeah. that you cleared your search history? Maybe just because you want to keep your comp- computer, you know, optimally running. I, I couldn't get uh, something to to work well, so it was very recent. I would say this week. All right, it's all gone. It was all gone. Yeah, just furiously clearing that cache at all times. <laughs> that's that's what I think about Greg and his laptop. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, welcome back. So that was the the five crazy games that we've seen so far on Sunday. Now let's move to the game that we thought was going to be the big game on Sunday, but wasn't quite, but still notable. Let's get into it to the Superdome. Good snap to Brady. Brady looking, looking, looking. Throws the ball toward the right corner, toward the right corner. It's caught! Touchdown, Tampa Bay! Buccaneers, Rashad Perriman. What a throw by Brady. And the Bucks lead for the first time of the game. It's Gene <laughs> WFUS of the call, yes. Tom Brady started a fight today. It led to the ejections of Marcus Lattimore and Mike Evans. But then he threw that go-ahead touchdown pass to Brashad Perryman, and that's all that ultimately mattered because the Buccaneers get a 20-10 win over the Saints, a division rival 
Greggy, who's had their number in recent years, had Brady's number since he came to Tampa Bay. And while it wasn't a dominating performance by Tom, in, K- in actuality, another tablet got tossed. He oh, still he slammed got that it tablet. Done. They got it done in a big win That was for very Tampa. showy, I thought. A showy oh. tablet throw. Oh, yeah. I don't think so. I mean, I understand he was upset, but it's like, we get it at this point. How many quarterbacks have taken the tablet and whizzed it across the room and you got to go replace the well, thing? for? I find it notable because we was remember furious. the first tablet throw with the Saints. So for it to be now bookended is, you know, he's big on the tablet throw. Against yeah, he was furious and the body language doctors were out like, uh oh, it's like Tom Brady's unhappy. It's like giving off negative vibes. I think it's worked for him <laughs> over the years. It's got a lot going on. He's so, un- <laughs> wait, somebody said that he might be quiet quitting. Uh, right. Which it's is like a thing everyone right now. just was like, he's so <laughs> miserable. He's this and that. I'm like, this is how he's looked on a football field when things haven't gone right. well for 20 plus but years. But it also it's came fine. on the same day, Greg, that Ian Rappaport reported. Now it's a, it's now a permanent thing that he's just not going to be with the team on Wednesdays right. at all. Okay. There's and a lot going, Greg. It, you, there's a lot going on in his life. You, there, can you accept that? That is absolutely true. Okay. But I don't think it has anything to do with what happened on the field. What and happened on the field today? He's on the opposite hash when he throws that game winner, what I would call the game winner, to Brashad Perriman. Because at that point, we just waiting someone make a play in this game. Sure. Receivers had a lot of chances. I think Tom Brady threw the ball quite well in this game. He's on the opposite hash, backing up, and throws it about 40, 45 yards on the line that throws Perriman open at the last second. That is an elite arm strength throw from Tom At Brady. 45. And it reminded me a, a little bit, the throw was different, but of the over or of the game winner to Kembrell Tompkins to go steal a game against the Saints about 15 years ago. Like these are the types of plays Tom Brady makes in an absolute big spot. He makes players like Brashad Perriman better. So like on a day where I was just kind of like waiting, let someone make a play here, make a play. It was Brady, it was Perriman, and then it was Jamel Dean who made two of the better interceptions you'll ever see a cornerback make. Yes, it was a bad day for Jameis Winston, but it took two terrific plays by Dean to to start the fourth quarter. This was a game, by the way, that was 3-3 in the fourth quarter before before they broke it open. And you bring up a great point because – it's very easy whenever it's the Bucks to just caught up, get caught up in Brady land, and you just focus on how did Brady play, how did he look, what was going on on the sideline, what's going on with his wife, and you forget about the reason why the Bucks uh, won the Super Bowl two years ago. The reason why they very, very nearly got back last year is because Brady went to a team that just got a great defense, and Todd Bowles. And by the way, sneaky, weird sideline game. Bruce Arians that on the sideline arguing with officials. Jason Light hugging uh, people on the sideline at the end of the game. It's just I like, was worried what, Arians what was going to have here? a Don Zimmer moment when they had that fight. I was like, get Arians so, out of there. Pedro Martinez might like, run out Has he decided like he just wants to inject himself back into the head coach <laughs> he must, slot like a month from now? Maybe he wants to come back. I do, do you think Tom Brady wants Bruce Arians on no, the sideline? No, I think we know that's <laughs> Six sacks for the Bucks, three interceptions, two fumble recoveries. They had a touchdown on a pick six. And, Mark, we just talked about it on the Thursday show that one of the reasons why – the Saints were a compelling team, and they're still a compelling team, is because this idea that Jameis Winston has come here and in the last two seasons in limited time has not been the turnover machine, and yet he threw two very buxy uh, interceptions referring to his time with that team, including a grizzly pick six, which obviously has been his forte well, it, in his career. It's a classic uh, week two flip the switch to the other reality because I thought he played two of his best or his best quarter uh, ever against uh, last week against the Falcons and so I did have 
a thought that maybe Jameis Winston had turned a corner because of what we saw last year in this offense, and the offense was more improved. But he's, he's a streaky quarterback. I think, again, you're playing a Bucks defense that is going to cause a lot of problems. And he was playing with four fractures in his back. And I know it's like he looked fine, but it's like we don't know what he's dealing with. He came out, of last, feel week. Great. No, he came out yeah. of last week saying that he was hurting all over the place. So... You know, that's the kind of thing you learn about after the season. What what Winston was dealing with and why this 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 his deep throws occurred. were terrible. I mean, he was so off. Olave had was wide open a couple times deep. He just missed it. Anything down the field, he missed it. Just quickly on that that Bulls assance we've been seeing the mm-hmm. time. I think the experience of their coverage unit, the depth and the continuity and the youth, by the way, of guys like Carlton Davis who had a great game in in Winfield and Dean, allows. Todd Bowles to mix up so much up front. They blitzed the hell out of Jameis Winston and the Saints offensive line today. They threw everything at him because they trusted the guys in the back end to hold up, and they really did, and they made plays. It really was a buck secondary type of win. And let me just say again, it was so weird at one point to look at the screen and see Bruce Arians basically on the field jawing at an official. This is the former head coach of the team is very and now in an advisory role of some kind uh, with the club. Todd Bowles is the head coach. What the hell is the former head coach who, by the way, you don't need to read between the lines, got pushed out of that job, and you could argue, right, uh, by Tom Brady, who came out of retirement <laughs> after Bruce Arians went upstairs. Now he's on the field. Maybe well, that's why Tom th- threw the tablet. There's one thing. like I mean, he is, he is essentially Todd Bowles' mentor. For his entire career. So they do get along, but I would love to see in general if every team that had a new coach had to have one season where the fired coach got to just walk <laughs> up and down the sideline that'd creating be, his type of that'd chaos. Be fun. This is not that far from Bring that. Chudzinski back in, in Cleveland. Oh, by the way, uh, two of the best players in this game, Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, got into a fight and they both got kicked out. It was at that point when, for some reason, the Bucks took over. I don't think that's a one-to-one mm. uh, thing that happened, but I do like that all of that fight happened uh, because Tom Brady, as always, was kind of moaning to the officials and one of the Saints uh, <laughs> defensive backs walked by him and kind of, you know, made some noise. And then uh, the Bucks got upset. Evans got upset. And that's where it all I started. Don't th- so maybe, it was, Lattimore, maybe Brady did that on purpose. Marshawn Lattimore sort of should not have been kicked out of that game. No, I agree. And Julio Jones didn't play in this game either. So. And neither, or, okay. or Chris Godwin. Or, or Alvin Kamara. And Mark Ingram, I, I thought, really didn't take advantage of the big holes that the, the Saints were opening up. I know he went 10 for 60, but all I was thinking was, man, if, if Kamara was in this game, he might have broken it, a is few. Is it just me, or is, is it be, are we seeing an uptake in a, an uptick in a wave of like major injury announcements on Sunday morning? Ooh, yeah, I think I think there's something contributing to that. Like we're, we're on the Thursday show, we're talking about how great Julio Jones looked and how great he could be in that offense if he just stays healthy. Then he's not playing three days later. These teams are yeah, they're tricky. Let's move on. Let's head to the Meadowlands. Another narrow win for a team. Three forty to go, tied at sixteen. Snap is good. Kick on its way. End over end. It's got the distance. It is good. Brandon O connects from fifty six yards out. And with 3.34 to go, the Giants lead it 19-16. Oh, what a day for New York sports. Judge hits 58-59. The Jets come back on the Brownies. The G-Men get the 56-yard field goal from Graham Gano, then hold on to beat the Panthers 19-16 at the Meadowlands. We now welcome in a great friend. He's taken, ladies. Hands off the merchandise. Nick Shook. 
Shooky, the uh, New York Giants are 2-0 for the first time since 2016. You buying? I'm not buying necessarily over the course of the season, but I'm buying the hype in terms of the excitement. Everybody's excited about Giants football again. Big blue. It's something to look forward to on a Sunday. Brian Dable's <laughs> down there getting fired up this and getting snarky. all demonstrative on the sideline. But yeah, it kind of, I mean, no, it's not entirely snarky. I think they're fun to watch. They're fun to watch like the Lions are fun to watch. A team that maybe turns the corner in the next couple of years with some more talent, but you like what they have in their head coach and you like how they've inspired their teams to turn around because the Giants have been a disaster for the last few years with their head coaching changes. And just, it's just been depressing watching them. They've had an air of just sadness around them and they are not that this year. They're fun and they forced turnovers. They forced two today. They played toe to toe with the Panthers and there was a lot of field goals and they happened to have the kicker who made it from 50 plus to beat his old team. And that was essentially the difference. Graham Gano revenge game. <laughs> and, and Greg, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Greg, you, you were saying as we went into the season that the Giants when you make the case, oh, there, there's some frisky pieces on this offense. The defense could be a disaster. And so far, that hasn't been the case. No, it hasn't. I, I'd love to hear from you, Shook, what you thought of their game plan. Because it, it seems to me that Don Wink Martindale is just kind of throwing the kitchen sink. Like it's like the undermanned college team that just tries to win with scheme. And I know they were short Leonard Williams at some point today. And that like maybe that's working. At least it's working when you're playing Baker Mayfield. Yeah, lost Leonard Williams during this game. They didn't have Kayvon Thibodeau already. So, like, they get savvy with their scheme. You know, at one point they send Julian Love off a of blitz and he kind of hides behind the line, sneaks in there, and gets a key sack. It was that type of game for them defensively. But really what they did is they they took a page out of what the Browns did against the Panthers last week and what teams have been doing against Baker Mayfield for the majority of his career, which is bat passes down to the line of scrimmage, take away his windows and his viewing angles to see guys downfield, force him out of the pocket, force him to get frantic as he does when he can't see out of the pocket when it's starting to collapse around him and make him speed him up, make him make mistakes. I thought the entire game was captured in one play. It was third and one in the second half, might have even been the fourth quarter, where all Baker's got to do is complete a ball to the flat. He's got his guy at the sticks. They can move the chains, continue the drive. And because he's under pressure and has been dealing with it for the majority of the day, he rips a bullet to the absolute peak of his receiver's catch radius, but too high to catch it with a defender right there. Mm. And they're forced to, uh, to to punt it away. It was actually pretty late there. So in the game, I, re I recall now. So you attack him, you force him to make mistakes and, and pressure him and, and get him uncomfortable and hope that that pans out for them. And it did for you know the Giants today. I want to flip it over to Daniel Jones because imperfect quarterback, we all get that. But I feel like two weeks in a row, I see moments, elements. I love the bootleg to end the game, essentially, where I think there's an element that Brian Dayball is a quarterback whisper to some degree. I don't know what to degree with, with Daniel Jones, but it's a better product, and there's more healthy players around him, I guess, than in years past. But do you think that, that there's a chance that Daniel Jones can go put together his best season because of the coaching around him? I would say that there is a chance, but the, the ceiling for that is not as high as you might expect. Sure. Because some of the play calling with Daniel Jones is still, you know, this is not Josh Allen and maybe he's trying to work in a little bit of Josh Allen scheme offensively where they, they run a read option and it just gets blown up in the backfield because he's not the same type of athlete and he gets, you know, Dable and, and his staff get a little, you know, Mike Kafka get a little over ambitious with what they have at quarterback. But I do see a better version of Daniel Jones, one that's not so contained within a traditional offense or the schemes of past quarterbacks, or I mean, of past coaches, and instead allowing him to flourish a little bit. That touchdown drive that they had, he throws the touchdown pass to the tight end Bellinger, his first touchdown of his career. Uh, you know, just, it was good design, good execution. There are moments where it's like that, 
There are also moments where you're reminded that it is Daniel Jones and maybe he's not the most accurate. Passer Iced him though. Situations. Iced him at the end, and that was a scramble. That was that was playmaking. That, that was play. that was not a that was not off a, the wheels. That was yeah. not a play call. That's twice in a row he's had some game winning plays. And by the way, they, speaking of icing, they're icing Kenny Galladay. I don't know if they're going to release him or him not, ice. but they decided not to play him. Essentially, that yeah, that's a lot of money, a lot of invested in the the Dave Gettleman era is a messy one. But the Giants are moving forward, and yes, the Panthers have now lost two games to start the season by a total of five points, which you could point to as a positive on some level. But then you remember this is year three for Matt Rule, eleven losses year one, twelve losses year two, and now off to an zero and two start. Year three, that seat is going to keep getting warmer. Let's move now, Shooky, to the other game you kept an eye on. Uh, and by the way, check out Nick Schutz right up. Oh, who locked that? I did. Hey! Oh, so did. <laughs> oh, no one there. <laughs> and Greg called it a terrible lock, and it it really evened the standings because last week I was the only one to miss my lock. And there this you week, go. here it's we go. It's funny how the competition it. works. It's a great story for you, Greg. Uh, you yeah, you kind of were dunking on Graver, so he's right. He deserves a little pop there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm That's sure if he had lost that game, he would not have uh, let us know the result, but uh, <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> all right. So now, Shook, check out all Shook's write-ups. He does great work on NFL.com uh, covering games. He's helping us out, as you know, every Sunday. Another game he was tracking, Mile High Stadium. Very weird vibes in Mile High. Let's get to it. Play fake for Russ. He looks. He floats one. He wants Sobert. Sobert is there. He makes the catch. His first catch of the season. Dave Logan with a call. K-O-A. Yeah, we've been trying to figure out how do the Broncos get their offense clicking in the red zone. And then we remember, doy, Eric Saubert. Throw it to Eric Saubert, who had the touchdown catch. Doy. And it was was what the Broncos needed desperately. And Russell Wilson desperately needed. And desperately needed. Nathaniel Hackett, perhaps most of all, the head coach of the Broncos, a 16-9 win. Um, Shooky, before I bring you in on this, I do have in my hand, and please feel free to add to it, because I know you were tracking this well. I saw your tweets. I call it the Hackett file, and the Hackett file has all the bad stuff that's going on with the Broncos. So before we get to the good stuff, we can't not talk about what was going on in that building. Uh, the Hackett file for week two. And, of course, we know what happened in week one uh, on the end, end of the game against Seattle. And uh, Hackett took the blame there, kind of. In this game, he had a fourth and two in the third quarter, sends the field goal team out late. Brandon McManus makes the field goal, but the play clock expired. Flag, delay of game. They have to punt it away. Fourth quarter, 9.55 to play. This is the Hackett file if you're just tuning in. 9.55 to play. They force a punt, the Broncos defense, but no returners on the field for Denver. So they have to burn a second timeout in a close game to get a punt returner back. Then they burn their final timeout. Wow. uh, To avoid a delay of game penalty on what? Let's say it at the same time, Shook. Second and 16. Six. And then finally... uh, 13 penalties for over 100 yards in this game after 12 penalties in week one. That is 25 penalties in two weeks. And now I'll throw it to you, Shook, because despite all that, they got a win. But my goodness. Yeah, Dan, you have a card. You're going to need many cards with the way this is trending this season. It's something that it's going to be kind of fun and intriguing to, to track because it's both hilarious and also fascinating because 
how low can a coach stoop in his first year in terms of performance? Because I mean, we can, you know, Mark can, Mark can attest to this. Freddie Kitchens loved the guy personally, but did not have a great single season as a head coach. Nathaniel Hackett is blowing him out of the water in terms of how bad you could be as a rookie head coach when it comes to decision-making during a game. It's not as if, you know, they're just committing penalties or they're just struggling to get the play in, but there he's struggling to make basic decisions when it comes to clock management, situational uh, personnel being out there. It, it basically uh, spans the entire spectrum of this. It, it's, it's incredible to the point that, Broncos fans felt it was necessary to start counting down the play clock for the that Broncos offense every play. Loudly shook. It doesn't it, get worse than that. Loudly. It doesn't get worse than that. It's, we're, yes, in, like, we're, we're in week two, and we already have boos directed at Russell Wilson, which is about as amazing a development as one would have imagined two months ago. I mean, I don't think it's at Russell Wilson. Uh, there were some. I mean, it's the so offense think it's in general, at, but the, the play it, call. It's more at Hackett. I think there was a lot of, I think, and Shook, correct me if I'm wrong on this one, in your opinion. There was a lot of frustration built up from everything that transpired on Monday night last week. And then for the team to come out and again look sloppy and not quite prepared, I think Wilson is tied in with that and their struggles in the red zone continued. That's part of it. But I think it's more this idea that Broncos fans are suspicious about this regime early on. Yeah, it actually really does remind me of the 2019 season in Cleveland because it's kind of the same thing. Off-season moves build all this optimism, and then they fail to produce, and they look like a disorganized mess on the field for the majority of the season. That's what these Broncos look like. You traded for Russell Wilson. You expect to be competitive in a very competitive division, and you can't get the basics of football down. So while they won this game, I'm telling you guys right now, and this is no huge knock on Houston. We know who they are as a football team. If they were playing... I don't know, 28 of the other teams in the NFL, they probably lose this game. They shot themselves in the foot that many times. Mm. And and you can't do that over the course of the season, especially not in this division. I I hear you, but it it has to be noted that you outgained your opponent significantly for the second straight week. Now, yeah, you might have played two of the least explosive offenses in the NFL when it comes down to it, Uh, but they've controlled these two games. So this is sort of where I'm getting back to September's preseason. Like they just need to get through this patch, even if it's at two and two. And like, I I would expect these sort of issues will be cleaned up by November, December. This is different than the Rams working their way through September, because the problem here is like, to your point with Freddie kitchens and other first year coaches where they seem underwater is the coaching decisions are getting in the way and becoming massive narratives that we have to talk about that. That's not what you were hoping from with Nathaniel Hackett and his exciting press conferences during the summer. Yeah, and you can win and lose games in those situations, guys. I mean, and, they are. and you can especially win and lose games when you're in goal-to-go situation and you don't know to hand the ball to one of your two good running backs. I mean, it's first and 10, they throw the ball. Or first and goal, they throw the ball, don't get there. Second and goal from the five, four-yard gain by Javante Williams. What do they do on third and goal from the one? They attempt to throw it again. I mean, this is this is part of the frustration. There are issues in goal-to-go situations. So that's got to be cleaned up, too. And that's situational decision. Just quickly, the worst thing that happened, I think, for them was Jerry Judy and Pat Sertan both left and did not return to their very best players. Shoulder injury. So you got to check in on their status as this week goes on. And, yes, the fact that they got Houston to work through their stuff right now and get the W – this would have been a very different scene if a, a, another loss, there'd be a, the talk of the NFL in a bad way after this game. So fortunate for Denver. They get it done. Shook, you always get it done. Thank you, my friend. Let us take a break, and we'll be right back. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. 
So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. All right, we're back. Let's move on. Here's a play action by Garoppolo. Looks left and a throw. Wide open, Ross Dwelly. He'll take it five. Ross Dwelly will dive for the end zone. Touchdown! San Francisco! Welcome back, Jimmy Garoppolo! <laughs> Jimmy Garoppolo? What's going on here? Greg Papa with the call, KNBR, yes. It was Jimmy G to Ross Dwelly for 38 yards and the score in a 27-7 laugher over the Seahawks because Trey Lance is no more in 2022. Unbelievable. He suffers a lower leg injury. It's a broken right ankle on the second drive of the game. Uh, the 22-year-old's second season is already over. Let's hear from Kyle Shanahan, who obviously was extremely disappointed with how things went down. It's, it's tough. It was you feel for someone so bad. It's very uh, it's a sad moment, um, but you don't have time to sit there and um, think about it. You got to get right back to the game, and I thought the guys did a real good job of that. But um, and we were real happy about the win, but it was a little sombering once you get in the locker room and, and you see him and stuff. So, so Shanahan, the the whole idea of the Niners setup here, um, Greg, was for Trey Lance to take this offense and take it to a higher place than Jimmy Garoppolo was able to take it. And now here we are. It's almost surreal. It's Jimmy G asked now to get them back to the Super Bowl. Unreal. It's like five, yeah, five quarters in, we're right back to 2021, and you hurt for Trey Lance. And you hear the frustration in Kyle Shanahan's voice because – it is football. It, it, you know, it's QB power. Now, do you run like a power running scheme with many quarterbacks? No. And I, I think last week there were there were sometimes uh, Trey Lance has me worried because he's running plays like Josh Allen and Cam Newton. I think run it, the the play that he got hurt on, as Shanahan just said, he could have handed it off. Um, to, to the running back who was going wide on that game. He decided not to. I don't know if it was the right read, really, because he didn't have much uh, in front of him. But he, it's just bad luck. He, he takes a bad hit. And their team is going to change so much, and yet you don't get the feeling that their expectations should change. Like, they dramatically changed even within this game who they were, but they didn't dramatically change dominating every facet of this game. Before Lance left, they had run 15 plays. They had called three passes. And, th and those three passes were effective, by the way. I mean, mm -hmm. he's going for 10 yards per throw. But they're running up and down the field with Lance being a huge part of that running game and the threat of him running being a huge part of it and Debo Samuel uh, having some early runs. And they're going up and down the field. Then Jimmy Garoppolo comes in, and it's just steady as she goes. It's, you know, calling about equal runs and passes, moving the ball like they wanted to and icing this game easily. So they're, they're a totally different team, and yet they're still a Super Bowl contender. And I'm not sure, like, I can think of an exact uh, an analog to that in, in recent NFL history where your qu quarterback changes, but it's like, okay, I think they're, they're going to be about the same. Why? Right. It's, 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 very, it's its own unique situation. How about Nick Foles? Yeah, but you would never have thought that at the time. In fact, we got into a huge argument on this very podcast with Wes trying to say, like, 
you know, does this team even have a hope of being competitive when you get to the playoffs? Yeah, you're right. It ended up that way. I just mean they're, they're going to be different. It's going to look so different. But the fact that Jimmy G can go in there and as Shanahan told the sideline reporter, Christina Pink, like we didn't need to uh, – they changed their play – book entirely they just ripped it up but they, they have but four, four years with this guy and they can just call in all those that's plays. the thing like I mean I I can see how emotional Shanahan is because they've gone they've been on this journey with Trey Lance and they, there was a lot of work put into it and a lot of having a comment on it invested yeah. but I would imagine that the vast majority of the offensive roster simply feels more comfort with Jimmy G in there I mean there's at least a lot of you know what you're getting and it almost was like the offense returned to what it needed to be this is a dominant team I I it, for the 49ers, beyond the, the traumatic nature of losing, I don't know Trey about Lance. what it needed to be. Because to me, they're they're off. I mean, he had two drives today. I don't think he played poorly last week either. It just we'll never know. Well, It'll be another year of not knowing. We won't know. And so I guess that's you're right. It's it's an, it's an unfilled space. But I mean, I just find it strange that we spent. I think I said on this show like 35 times that perhaps the way that Jimmy G winds up starting somewhere else is that a quarterback injury of high nature occurs on another team. In the end, you know. Quarters into the season, it happened to the Niners Is that itself. Irony. Well, I mean, it wasn't the, it wasn't what I was Is predicting. That, Is that irony that it ended up? I think a little bit in I mean, San Francisco, uh, and it's uh, that, that definition to is great broad. fortune yes. for the Niners. As bad as mis- as unfortunate today's events are, that their season's not over right now because if they trade Jimmy G to Charlotte or Seattle or whatever, and they have some. Sudfeld or whatever. The season's over. They wanted Nick over. Sudfeld. They gave him $2 million guaranteed. If he had a better camp, they might have gotten rid of well, Jimmy G. they wanted more than but Jimmy they G. They didn't. The season is over, and yet it is not over. They have a chance, but still a big bummer. All right. And on the game side of things, uh, Greg, what did you see? I know it seems like the, the Geno Sants took on a little bit of water. Um, tough in situation. Week two. Tough situation for Gino. The only the only seven points they scored were on a return of a blocked field goal. Gino's numbers though, not bad. Twenty four for thirty one ninety seven. They were overmatched in how liter- many points by the offense in the last zero, six quarters? Zero points. Okay, just right. if you're a Seahawks fan, okay. this was like your worst fears coming true in all. Fa- they seemed so overmatched in every matchup. Run defense pass defense. Anytime they threw a ball up in a one-on-one situation, it was a penalty. It could have been like 40 to zero. It, it, it was that one-sided. When 49ers put Bosa, Armstead, Omenahu, and Drake Jackson on the field together, who are all pass rushers, it's like their NASCAR pass. It, it was like lights out. There was not r- literally one area of the game where the Seahawks looked competitive. All right, so you had your Monday night frolic with Gino last week. and there was It's a, one week, and I, he didn't on, play that hold bad Hold on, Greg, today. just yeah. hold on a second. Do you see on any level, because I think Gino played well in that game, and I think he's a fair enough quarterback where you can win some games with him, but... It, it, I mean, it's a patch. Do you not feel to some degree that there's a real ceiling with the whole offense, with the way they're constructed? Right now, they're going to need to Im- improve. I mean, I've never said anything other than he's sort of that mid-level quarterback that's going to rise and fall. Well, and you've this, said this was some a, other things. A worst-case scenario. Right, because that's not – we're not getting mid-level play after the first half of week one. That's all. I, I actually think if, if you okay. want – like, it, it, PFF will grade him fine in this game, not that that means well, everything. Well, the whole offense, this, at least. This was not uh, – this. I'm worried because the defense also looks so overmatched the last couple of Maybe weeks. Maybe we don't have DJ Dallas uh, looking totally frazzled right, on got, a f- fullback option pass into the end zone that gets picked off. All right. Let us now uh, move on to Ford Field. Goff's back. Washington brings the pressure. Goff throws. It is complete to Swift. 
Falls down, gets back up and runs inside the 10. Oh my goodness, are you kidding me? To the house! Touchdown Detroit Lions! From the seat of his pants to the end zone! Love it, Dan Miller with the call WXYT. It took till week 13 for the Lions to win their first game in 2021. This year, they got out of the way early. DeAndre Swift found the end zone. Jared Goff threw two of his four touchdown passes to Amon Ross St. Brown. Aiden Hutchinson, the number two overall pick, had three sacks, added up 36-27. Lions over the Commanders. Greggy, I I could feel it. A little juice coming from Greg World. Watching the Lions play today. Yeah, it's fun to have a fun Lions Gross. team. This was like Gross a way to s- explain that. Yeah, but. I don't yes. know about Juice in Greg's world, uh, but this Clear was a, your history. This was like a, a coaching <laughs> game on both sides. Like this was coaching dominance, I think, on both sides of the ball. The the Lions defense got after and totally confused Wentz and the Commanders early. They didn't have a first down for their first five drives. Meanwhile. Like their aggressiveness, Detroit's on offense. I was really taken by there. There was a drive at twenty-two to nothing late in the first half where they threw it three straight times. Didn't work at all. It was under a minute left. But most coaches would have played it conservatively. There, they're having Goff throw bombs, and I'm like, this is a different Dan Campbell. Then in the second half, it's twenty-two to fifteen. The Commanders are making a comeback, and you get the ball to Amon Ra St. Brown on an end around. Uh, you get the ball to DeAndre Swift, who had a touchdown where he fell down and then get, gets back up. Like Amon Ra St. Brown had what, 174 yards in this game. Swift had 87 on only seven touches. They have legit playmakers, and every time Wentz uh, tried to make a comeback, the Lions immediately went down the field with a balls-to-the-wall offense and did not let Washington totally get back into it. They're scoring points in two weeks so far. Yeah, well, so they've put up 35-plus points in three straight games for the first time since 1952-1953. I mean, that's how long it's been for the Lions. I think I'll let their creative. They are daring. I mean, one was against like, the Packers backups or some nonsense, right, in Week 18. All right, but this season, I think they show great power. Dang. And it happens in spurts. And it, that's the kind of thing where it's like they're going to be hanging around deep into this season. I just feel that way about them. I think they're well-coached. I feel power. <laughs> they have a great coaching staff. And I just, I don't know. This They're fun to watch. I, I, I was saying to Dan, I think, you know, early on in this game, when they had 241 yards to 27 for bumbling and stumbling Washington, who obviously came back into it with Carson Wentz, they're they were one of the more enjoyable teams to watch in the league after two after two weeks. That's good, yeah, because like that's what we've talked about. That's why people enjoyed watching them last year. It's why people enjoyed watching them on our hard knocks. That's why we've enjoyed them from two weeks this, through two weeks of season. But Greg, it's. They got to win games. They can't just be right. the feel-good guys that are always close. And Campbell said that as much last week after the narrow loss um, to Philadelphia. So this was this was nice. This is important. Winning early is super important for this organization. And if you're a Lions fan, you're filled with excitement when you get ready for week three because you're in the mix now. You're a real team. Uh, also because these guys are going to be around. And I don't just mean Amon Ross St. Brown or – Swift, who was hurt, he had an ankle injury, and he still ends up going for more than 10 yards per touch. I mean the coaching staff. I I thought their coaches gave them 
real schematic advantages on both sides of the ball. I still have major questions about their defense. I mean, they were missing three starting offensive linemen in Detroit. They were missing their best cornerback, uh, but they got it done in the end. Aiden Hutchinson gets three sacks in, on the day, by the way. I said that. Nice, nice little In the first day. half, by the way. And they kind of were weird sacks, to, hey, be, to be fair. Kind of where Wentz, Wentz goes too far back and a cleanup play and another on a stunt, but the hustle was there. And uh, the effort from this defense, they're going to give up points, but as long as they keep scoring like this, they'll be fine. All right. You uh, attempted to disown the Patriots on a live program in front of Maurice Jones-Drew, but they are your favorite team, Greg. You'll always love them. And they played a football game today. Do you want to talk about it? I don't have much to say on this, but I'm looking forward to hearing it from Mark. <laughs> All right, let's hit it to Heinz Field or whatever it is now. I can't keep I can't keep track Back of these things. Jones yeah. takes the snap on the hey, third down. Behinds to me. Dances in the pocket, throws the long ball right with some contact. Got the Hollis Carter inside the five and in for the score. Aguilar touchdown Patriots. There you go. Somebody make a play, and it's Nelson Aguilar on a jump ball here. Jones fills it. It's one-on-one, but Aguilar elevates and climbs the back of the defender. That's a terrific catch, sensationally done by Nelson Aguilar. That's Bob Sochi and a sentient blue raspberry Powerade on the call for WBZ. The New England Patriots off the mat. Thanks to Mac Jones connecting with Nelson Aguilar on that touchdown, the only touchdown uh, or the touchdown the Patriots needed to finish off the Steelers, 17 to 14. Uh, Mark, yeah, and, and, a, and a Sunday filled with great games. This one from afar didn't seem like to have a lot of sizzle. How did it feel watching it? Right. I think if, you know, Ravens, Dolphins gave us something we weren't expecting. Cardinals, Raiders gave us something we weren't expecting. There were five other games like that. I thought this played out the way that most people would think that it did. Two struggling offenses attempting to find their footing. Uh, I think it helped the Patriots a lot that T.J. Watt was not in there. Uh, Their offensive line, if you want to take a positive away, towards the end of the game, Damian Harris, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, they put the game on their back and just basically closed it out behind an offensive line that blocked pretty well in the run, um, gave Mac Jones time to throw. Mac Jones was sort of all over the map, but showed good chemistry with Jacoby Myers. You saw the play with Nelson Aguilar. You see it a little bit. I just think it's a very streaky, and the same applies to the Steelers, which we expected. Mitch Trubisky, to me, I mean, there were moments where um, whatever the name of the stadium is, Acrisure, I believe. Uh, boos were That's raining bad, down. Kenny, Kenny Pickett, they were calling name. for Kenny Pickett, and their offense is very, very limited. They just I don't think that they believe that they can be aggressive with, with Mitch Trubisky back there. So you're going to get games like this all year long. Without T.J. Watt, you're going to probably be on the lower side of it. Uh, that was my question to you. How many CBS cutaways to Kenny Pickett on the sideline did we see? Did he ever – was he throwing footballs at any point? Where are we at? What was the, Does it feel like this is something that could become a conversation? Because let me look at the it's team thir- stats. It's a Thursday night game this week. All right, right. so that would make sense. T- but not today. They had uh, sub-300 yards uh, last week uh, in their win over Cincinnati, this time 243 total yards. So they're just not – Moving the ball, and right. Trubisky was five point one yards per attempt. He gives you he gives you stuff with his legs. We get that. Um, you know he 
he isn't a complete disaster, but it's just extremely limited. You just you can't run a full offense with him, and I don't think they trust him to. But I, I you know, if all, his first read's taken away, he checks it down, right. or he just holds on. And there's on tons to of track. It was like it's Pat Fryermuth or bust. Although Deontay Johnson, they do have a good connection. Deontay Johnson was awesome in this game, and he was good last week too. But good in a way where like y- y- he's making mid-range catches versus deep down the field doing other stuff he could do. So I, I think with both of them, there's a long way to go when it comes to your attack and what you can expect each week. All right. Are we good to move on? Or do you have anything to add there? No, I've, I'm ready to uh, move on to the next affair. Let's head to Duval, where the Colts certainly were going to get off the schneid and shake that ugly narrative about their inability to beat the Jaguars. Obviously, let's, let's <laughs> listen in. Of course. 22 seconds to play in the third. Trevor under center. Play fake. Trevor's going to run to the right. He's going to toss it to Christian Kirk for the touchdown. Touchdown pass from Trevor Lawrence to Christian Kirk. Frank Frangie, WOKV. Trevor Lawrence threw two touchdown passes to Christian Kirk. You heard one of them there. Matt Ryan, nowhere to go, nothing to do. And the Colts missing some key players are shut out. 24 Zip. That's eight straight home wins um, for the Jaguars against the Colts, which seems impossible. Gravedigger, you had your eyes on this game for us. Um, I was, you know, it was a very busy day, a lot going on. And when we're putting the show together, I just assumed, I knew the Jaguars won and it wasn't particularly close, but I figured it was like 24 to 10, 24 7, maybe 24 9. To see that the Colts didn't score a point on Sunday, that is a major red flag in Indianapolis, right? It certainly is. The Colts do not look like a good football team right now. This was not a case of Jacksonville forcing. I mean, they did force a bunch of turnovers, but it wasn't like the Colts are moving the ball all game long and then some fluke play happens and Jacksonville takes over. It was the Colts had, I think they had uh, three straight three and outs after their first drive which was a productive drive, and then Matt Ryan makes a terrible decision to throw a deep crosser, didn't see the safety lurking, who came up and and picked him off. And Mm -hmm. then they had three straight three and outs, followed by a five and out to end the first half. Matt Ryan sacked three times in the first half. This game was pretty much over at halftime, and Jacksonville came out to start the second half and scored another touchdown to make it 24-0. From there, they kind of like went into a bit of a, a shell just to try to bleed the clock out. And on defense, they let the Colts kind of start driving, backing up, not allowing anything over the top. Colts go down and have, in the fourth quarter, two chances from fourth and goal, two separate drives, fail to convert on both of them. At that point, the game's pretty much over. Matt Ryan in desperation mode, throws two more horrible interceptions. One of them he was hit on and was tipped. But that Jacksonville defensive line was harassing Matt Ryan all day. A lot of it was... Matt Ryan standing there waiting for his receivers to get open. And you do have to wonder how different it would be if Michael Pittman had played. But I don't think Michael Pittman is a 24-point difference here. So, No, they were, they're so limited at wide receiver with Michael Pittman. They also were missing Alec Pierce. So their two starting wide receivers are out of this game. But it, it's not a good sign when that means Ashton Doolin is your number one and that you can't, like, possibly recover uh, from missing a couple of receivers. It's been a tough couple of weeks for Ryan. Ryan was worse upon reflection and, and rewatching uh, in that Texans game, too. Can I ask you a question? Because I, I, we've been waiting for the Trevor Lawrence game. And I'm just, I'm, I, haven't, I didn't watch this one closely, but 25 for 30 for two touchdowns, 235 yards. 
That yeah. doesn't include the mistakes we've seen and the misfires in most of his starts. Did, did it look like a different situation? It did. Lawrence was really decisive. He was getting the ball out quick. The Colts were running a lot of zone, and Lawrence was just taking what they were giving him underneath. The, the Jaguars only had three plays over 20 yards in this game. One of them was on a first and 20. Lawrence rolled out and hit Christian Kirk on a really nice pass. He had a couple of plays rolling to his left, delivering a really nice across-the-body throw. But mostly it was just kind of this dink and dunk, take what the defense give you, pick up yards after catch. And um, it's crazy because the Jaguars averaged 4.9 yards per play. The Colts averaged 4.5 yards per play. I mean, it wasn't like they were just hitting explosives all over the Colts defense, but the Jags ran 67 plays to 48 for the Colts. Mm. And where Lawrence was really impressive was on third down in the first half. He... uh, he was um, 14 for 17 in the first half. On third down, he was 6 of 7 for 47 yards um, and converted 5 of 8 third downs the Jaguars did in the first half. That and also that means the they were 0 for 8 on third down in the second yeah, half. Yeah, in the though. second half, they did a lot of run, run, pass, bleed out the clock kind of stuff or or like short pass, short pass, punt. But this will be it was impressive. This game will be a major test for the people inside our company that handled the condensed game. Uh, it's called, I think, Game in 40. Yeah. I, this needs to come in at 31, 32 tops. <laughs> I, I could not agree more with you. It cannot come in at 40. It's an acid test. It's crazy, too, because this was so one-sided in Week 18, Greg, too. it cannot come anything higher. Here's the thing. I don't – it's uh, – there were some – Erratic editing on those game in 40s last week. They were making a meal out of Bears uh, 49ers. A lot of, well, lot of week like, one. It's their preseason replay. two, Greg. But, <laughs> mo- what I was going to say is like mostly the, the length of that is not up to the editors. It's just kind of the, how many plays there are in that game. It's not like let's, you can get rid of the plays. Especially in this game, the way Graver yeah. is explaining there, it. There, there are games the Jaguars, with way less plays than others. The Jaguars that, aren't trying to score basically in the second half, and the, and the Colts can't score. We should be able to knock out that second half in seven, eight minutes, I would imagine. Let's try. For the sake of our imagination and our, our interest in the sport. Like I any think. play that is, you know, not notable for a loss or is less than a two yard gain, just wipe it. No Zip one's it. gonna miss it. No one's gonna be like, Where and is was, that one yard Jonathan Taylor run? There was a lot of those. Jonathan Taylor finished the first half with five carries for four yards. They really bottled mm, him up. That's and great. I mean that's great job, Indy. The second half just didn't that, even matter. It was I don't think they're the that talented. Half. You know, when you, you take away Shaq Leonard and, and Michael Pittman, of course he you're less two, talented. Yep. But I just I think you're I, I don't think they're as talented. And that in that signing that we all kind of made fun of uh, or at, you know, everyone had that fun with that Christian Kirk sighting. You know, you know who's not laughing? Anyone that drafted Christian Kirk in the middle of your fantasy mm-hmm. drafts, he's lighting up the scoreboard back to back weeks. Or they are laughing because it's enjoyable. Right. Well, that's it's a fun laugh. All right, let's finish it up with some Sunday night football. What's that? Sorry, I forgot to play that while we were doing Colts Jags. The Wesling Bros locked up the Colts. Uh, oh, <laughs> that you did get, not go well. You get two losses for that. Ooh. Yeah, I think. Is it worse? Fail. Is it worse to lock a team that is non-competitive and gets shut out by the Jaguars, or to lock up a team that blows a huge lead? They both are not great feelings. But I'm sure the Cincinnati Zoo—they've closed the gates and they're like huddled up trying to figure this thing out. You'd have to say that what they did suggests that they came in with a lot of analysis, a lot of viewpoints about how the game would go, and it went horribly wrong. In our cases, all three of us, we lost on heartbreakers 
you know, if a few things went differently, we'd be shining mm-hmm. bright. No, I think if your lock gets shut out against the team that's <laughs> had the number one overall draft pick in back-to-back years, you're actually – you get two two losses. I was going to say you're out for the year. <laughs> I, I could see you were going there. <laughs> you're I, always, I love these guys. I think very, they're a great um, part of the show, so I don't want to lose It's a breakdown in the system. Is that the first shutout? Is that the first shutout of the season? Uh, yeah. uh, certainly, maybe the first. It might be the first shutout of, of a, a team that history. was locked yeah. for a victory. Yeah, I can't recall. History made uh, in Ohio. Let's hit Sunday Night Football. Oh, Sunday Night. Killed him. We're just kidding. And he is short. No touchdown. And there is your dagger. The Packers defense has stood at the one-yard line. Great call. Wayne Larravee, WRNW, just when it looked like the Chicago Bears might go and make a game of their matchup with the Packers at Lambeau Field. Green Bay got the stop, added a field goal, salted it away. Final score, 27-10. Packers over Bears. Uh, Green Bay gets their first win of the season. The Bears fall to one and one. Uh, Mark, it's a little, it's a little annoying <laughs> that after such an amazing Sunday of Sunday games, uh, you get the now standard Packers Bears game, and it's just like it's another one of them. It's another Can one I hear of those that, games. That sad horn again. Look at Mark asking for sound yeah. drops. You know who got banged here? Who's that? Well, the viewer. Yeah. Because like you said, this was a Titanic week two. And this feels to me, um, just from general memory, like a rite of passage early in the season that most of us as fans must be essentially Endure. dragged through. Right. <laughs> a portal to nowhere. Because, yes, it's not on any level surprising that the Packers got right here um, or that the Bears struggled once again having to play a primetime game early in the year in Green Bay. This setup seems like it occurs annually. Right, there was that the hundredth uh, season of football. Remember, they had to start the season with Packers Bears, but they didn't, and that have was more to. no. It, and we don't have to watch this these teams play every year in primetime. Like, Why? The, the logic is like get the get the national big Bears audience uh, early while they're supposedly frisky. But this is just a talent poor team, and they threw the ball eleven times. I, I know there's some situational explanation of this, and they have run the ball well through two weeks. If you're looking for some positives, and yards their, their defense has been competitive. Sure, they threw the ball 11 times today. You just it's not gonna it's not gonna work in 2022. Come on. Aaron Jones went off in this game uh, for 132 yards, averaged nearly nine yards a carry with a touchdown. AJ Dillon. You know, I've said that I think that Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt are the best one-two punch in football in the backfield. You certainly can make a case for Green Bay. And this is a reminder after last week's disappointment against the Vikings that the Packers are a very balanced team. The defense, obviously, you know, this wasn't that big a challenge against the Bears, but they got the job done, including in money time. And it was very close. Justin Fields came within inches of crossing the goal line. It was ruled a stop on, on the fourth down. Uh, midway through the fourth quarter, and there just wasn't enough to overturn. It was that close to 24-17, but I never felt, even if that happened, like this game was going to end with the Bears finding a way to win just because you got the feeling Green Bay was doing the old Milton Berle, show what they need to show just Mm. to get through the game. But then again, this is a wild Sunday. It just didn't get wild here. Well, that was the the turning point. I mean, I I give the Bears credit for, after a first 
half where they had a 71-yard touchdown drive, obviously, to open the game. Then their next five drives compiled 10 yards. That's the taste that I that I mentioned. That they seemed out of sorts, but they're then doing they, flea flickers just to get like a 15 yard out. Right, they're trying to back themselves, get out of a corner. But I, but they do have a good run game. David Montgomery, you know, I, he, he looks good. Khalil Herbert's good. Uh, it, it, maybe they've got to find a way to win games like this. But they're certainly playing around Justin Fields. Like he had, he barely threw the ball against the Niners, and I understand that was a weather element. But there was no weather element here, and they did the same thing. Darnell Mooney has uh, four yards on the season. After having negative four yards today, yeah, eight in That's, the first game. Uh, we should know. give some credit though to Aaron Rodgers, who I think moved really well. That was my takeaway watching their offense. El- Elkton Jenkins was back, which which was that nice helped. for them. It, you mentioned Aaron Jones, who to me just as a pure runner, I was thinking about West because he was so early on Aaron Jones, just like how how this kid is a special runner and I think just pure running he's a top five guy right now just bouncing off dudes and the speed and the vision it's all great but I thought Aaron Rodgers moved pretty well in this game that he was making a couple plays with his legs not just the called run uh, but moving up in the pocket on that throw to Cobb in the first half it just it just felt like he's he's moving well and that, that that's encouraging because I, I think you kind of need that as you get through the season moving in the pocket it's interesting too because um, A.J. Dillon out-touched Aaron Jones in this game, uh, in the running game, and the same thing happened in mm. week one. Week one was a little different. But Jones still goes 15 for 132. Right. So it's Three more for just like, wow. if you can, and Aaron Jones has had issues at times staying healthy, so this is perfect. This is the way they should handle this, even if it will frustrate some fantasy owners, because Dillon is special too. So, you know, on the Bears side of it, I know Bears fans are puffing out their chests after the Niners win last week, and then we try to diffuse it and talked about the weather and, and how that really really could not be overlooked. This is going to be the challenge for the Bears. It's, I think, scoring points. Um, but Fields does show he nearly had a, a touchdown before um, that fourth down stop where he reached. Oh, he's such a dynamic athlete. He's fun to watch. I think we're going to continue to see fun, exciting plays from Fields. It's just uh, so much on his shoulders. Even with David Montgomery is a really good number one. But also, back. I mean, the Bears, they've made it clear as much as any team in the league that this year is a do what you can. They have massive cap space. A year from now, I think the front office and a new coaching staff can put their plan into place. We've all heard that before, though. That's the thing. It's got to work. But I think Fields does give you something each game that's attractive, but they don't put together full games on offense. I get it. You just need to uh, start showing some progress. He's taken a step back in terms of the passing game. You had the weather last week, certainly, but he was doing some things, throwing the ball at the end of the last year. We need to see that again. They get the Texans next week. Very Mm, winnable. There you go. That's very winnable. The old Zeus is putting together the power rankings as I'm watching the end of this game, and I'm you know, going to have Texans, Texans very near the bottom of that list. Go get a W, Chicago. Get get two out of three to start the year. All right, that's it. There's your Sunday night recap, a very fun Sunday of week two. Next time you hear from around the NFL will be tomorrow night. Greg Rosenthal on the doubleheader of two. Two games you're going to be recapping. Uh, with none other than... Uh, we got Arif Hassan. Arif Hassan. Long-time Vikings writer who's moved into a national role. Right. Uh, well, and he's got to be doing the Eagles game. Arif Hassan plug of his new yeah. gig. I don't know. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Why multiple not? national roles. How many plugs of things in your life from Greg in the last couple of shows? Uh, no QB more. No, no. Well, now there's one. That was the, fir- that was the first, the first mention know. of that. You're getting 10% of Arif in his new uh, gig here? I don't know. Just It just happened to happen this week. We's all, we've also got... Uh, 
Titans expert Justin Graver on the show. Oh, oh very good. Well, always. <laughs> That's a always. billing. And remember, a week from Sunday, the heroes get on an airplane and we head to <laughs> we head to London. And the Around the NFL live show uh, is – and by the way, a little help, guys. If the old Zeuser's trying to plug the live show and oh. I'm saying the date wrong, anybody? Anybody say, you know, Dan, actually it's not – you know, the 25th or the 26th, whatever you're saying. Like, Have we been getting well, it I wrong? Mean, You've been getting it wrong? If you're looking at me to keep a calendar, you've well, got, just you've a got little big help. issues. Just, I mean, just I'm looking for a little help. Where? When is the live show? Thursday Justin? the 29th. Thank you. Thursday, September right. 29th. 25-pound from... tickets in the balcony. We got those for you. It's, uh, it's going to be a lot it's of It's going to be a crazy night. It's going to be one of the biggest nights around the NFL history. So make sure you're there, and we'll try our best to put on a good show. Um, yes, Monday Night Recaps. Then you'll see or hear from the group and Colleen on Tuesday, and the whole wheel begins again. Beautiful. Till then, Dan Hans is signing off for Quiet Storm, oh, the boy. old boss, the grave digger, Sean Kelly behind the glass. Until then, heed the call. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.